0: and this so other player said to me um no 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 like don't, don't put that there and i said what <laughs> and he was like no we don't we don't need that and i was like you don't? The Privilege of Escape is uh, an escape room inspired public art installation designed to address issues of privilege and social inequity. Through games, people are more willing to take risks. Those very real emotions are something that I was so attracted to as a medium, as a format. I've been talking about this as analogies for everyday life for a lot of people, right? He's wearing a lab coat and there's a bunch of hourglasses behind him. That's when you, you feel another little tremor of energy through the Group. It's really hard to get people to acknowledge their privilege even within the game.
1: Hi, I'm Nathaniel Sky, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is, immersive entertainment. Welcome. A door has opened with the rise of immersive experience. Immersive experiences can be fun and wondrous and mind-bending, but they can also aid incredible empathy in a way that very few other things can. The Privilege of Escape is an escape room and an experience that uses this fact to address the real-world problems of privilege and inequity. Puneau is a New York-based artist that, in collaboration with Creative Time, has pioneered a new front, a new world of potential for what immersive experiences can be. Now, this is an incredibly important conversation, and as such has been split into two parts to make sure that it gets the time and space it deserves. The second part, which is just as, if not more so phenomenal than the first, will be released a couple weeks down the line. And with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation with the mind behind the privilege of escape, Risa Puno. Risa, welcome to the show thanks um so of course to start out with as we do um if you have a favorite fictional world that you would choose to spend some time in to live in um and play some role in what world would you choose
0: um okay so I was really hoping to come up with something super cool super niche maybe Artie. And Mm -hmm. I, um, to tell you the truth, um, if I answered completely honestly, it would be a super mainstream, like it it would be Harry Potter. Like it would be Harry Potter.
1: (laughs) Totally fair. It's a phenomenally put together world.
0: Yeah. Well, I see the thing is, I don't know. I honestly don't know why everybody loves it. Like I only know why I love it. And um, I think I love it for the the nerdy parts. Like I'm not really interested in the fighting dragons or even looking for Horcruxes part of it. Like, I I mean, I, I would, I would certainly be in Ravenclaw. Let me put it that way. If I were, (laughs) if I, if I were sorted, in fact, every quiz I've told me has told me overwhelmingly Ravenclaw. And, um, and I think that, I think the thing that I really like about it is that I like that it's it's set within real life. Like it's within the muggle world, um, and that you discover it along with Harry. And so, um, there's a, um, there's like a orientation, like sort of confusing part that he's going through that you go through as a reader too. And a delight that comes as he discovers it too, that I like that. I like that sort of onboarding that, that comes, um, as a reader. And I really like that, um, While the usual laws of space and time and physics are suspended in a way with magic, I like that there are still laws that you have to abide by. Like there are certain things like that you, um, you can't conjure, you can't transfigure. Um, and, and they have to abide by those laws within their world, which I find (laughs) it's so nerdy, but I, I like that. I like that, um, that there are still rules within that and, um, and they, they aren't like just born being able to do all these things. They have to, they have to learn to do them and they have to struggle with it. And I think um, I, like, I like the, the parts where they're in school. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would want to go to Hogwarts.
1: Definitely. Oh my gosh. Yes. Same. Very much so. Um, and, and it's those mechanical aspects. It's the fact that it's, it's a world that is limited in certain ways and that, you have to go through the process of understanding those limitations in order to, you know, become a full-fledged witch, wizard, warlock, what have you. Um, yeah, I really like that.
0: I also like that it's like it's not that everybody's discovering it at the same time, right? Because I feel like if it were a world where it's like a space travel, right, and and you're everybody's coming to this new world at the same time, then like then that's a sort of different vibe, right? But he's being thrown in to this long history, not knowing any of it. And I think that that, um, I find that in particular, the, the, um, the dynamics between personalities, there are really interesting.
1: Definitely. Definitely. So we will wrap back around to that, um, in the make it immersive segment, of course. Um, but just for our listeners who don't know, could you briefly just explain what the privilege of escape is?
0: Sure. Sure. Um, well, maybe it would be a little easier if I started by giving some background on, on me. Um, cause I'm an interactive installation and sculpture artist. Um, I've been, um, trying to work more and more within the public art realm. And, um, so basically the privilege of escape is a project that I did with creative time, um, recently and creative time for people who don't know is this amazing public arts organization that has done some really crazy stuff, um, uh, all over the world, but, um, specifically there's a lot of really cool stuff in new york city that they've done um like they were the organization responsible for producing carol walker's 30 foot sugar sphinx in the domino sugar factory um oh, okay. called us yeah a subtlety that was them um they did duke riley's fly by night like the 2000 um trained pigeons with led lights that were engineered for them that were like um flying uh, over the brooklyn army terminal in the east river um they did the um the it's now um, being put on by the 9-11 memorial but it's the tribute and light the two lights that go up where um ground zero was that that was originally their project um and so they've I mean they have a, a 40 year history of of doing some really really interesting stuff that that is really different than a lot of the public art you see and I have wanted to work with them like forever for almost a decade um, ever since I learned about them yeah yeah they've been like my art crush of an organization and um but they usually work with much more established artists um it's often artists that have um like for example, have a gallery and that kind of practice, but they'll be interested in, in making work for public art. So creative time will produce their first public artwork. Um, but, um, and in order to get that, you know, you kind of have to know people who know people who can suggest you to them. Um, but for the very first time this past December, they had um, an open call where um, any New York based artist could apply with their dream project as long as it addressed a pressing social issue. And um, so I proposed Um, the privilege of escape, which is uh, an escape room inspired public art installation designed to address issues of privilege and social inequity. Um, And they said, yes.
1: (laughs) Well, that is, that is absolutely wonderful. And thank you for the background there. I appreciate that. Um, Sure. So how did you come to the idea of using the escape room as a format for your piece?
0: Well, I first um, played my very first escape room a few years ago with my family in Kentucky because that's where I grew up. And we were just looking for something fun to do over the holidays because we we love board games and um, and doing things like that. And so um, we found a company in Louisville that, that did this and we played it and um, I walked out of it and I turned to my mom and I said, oh, my God, I have to make one of these. Like, I just I loved the experience. Well, there were certain things that I loved about it and certain things that I did not care for at all. And I think that 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 really excited me, that idea that there were there were things that I thought were so rich about the experience and certain things that I thought I absolutely did not want to incorporate. Like um so the premise of the room that we went into, first we were blindfolded and let in. And then when the time started, we took the blindfolds off and we were all handcuffed to this bed frame in the dark and we had to grope around yeah looking for some like tiny ass key for the handcuffs and like (laughs) that that part was not my favorite like i i i'm not a haunted house kind of kind of person um that's that's not my um that's not my genre recreation of choice and so yeah, uh, I, I yeah i wasn't so much interested in this like a serial killer is going to come back and murder you in exactly 60 minutes but he left all these clues so that you could escape like that to me was like weird and ridiculous but um but i really liked this sort of nerd sport um because yeah i mean i i I, I was always a nerd. I was not great at sports and I liked the the competitive nature of this. And I really liked the, I, I liked how real the emotions felt, even though the premise was totally ridiculous. And even though it was clearly just a game, like you really feel like anxiety because of the clock, you feel this like confusion, this frustration, this like um, just like squeezing your brain to try and connect these dots. And you feel, you feel like a fucking genius when you, when you, you, solve things, you know, you, you feel like, like you came up with something, even though it's exactly what was designed for you. You're just following a path, right? But you don't feel like that when you're in the room. And, and those very real emotions are something that I, um, was so attracted to as, as a medium, as a format. Like I thought that that seemed like a really interesting, um, a really interesting method of, of communicating with people and, and drawing certain things out of, of people. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's absolutely why I was interested in that format. And so when I started thinking about like, if I weren't, if I weren't going to do one of those sort of ridiculous themes, like what, what would I want to address? And I started thinking about what are the things that I want to escape from. I started thinking about things like toxic masculinity or white supremacy. Um, but it seemed like those those seemed like such big, heavy issues that they in a weird way seemed to mimic the the ones that I wasn't that interested in. And also, um I didn't want to be triggering to people. Like I yeah, yeah. you know, like I, I wanted it to to Still be far enough away that it, it could feel thoughtful and it could feel, um, it you know, I, I didn't want to actually like traumatize people, and so, um, I was thinking about the idea of escape in general, like the idea um, that you can remove yourself from an uncomfortable or harmful situation, and I was thinking that that in and of itself is a privilege, and um, and I was thinking about this activity right where you pay 30 per person to have extra problems added to your life, um, seems like to me, a rather privileged activity. I mean, one that I am happy to take part in because, cause I enjoy it, but also is a little bit, there's a ridiculous part of that. And, yeah, and yeah. if, right. And so it's like, if you have daily trauma, this isn't probably something you're going to be willing to do. And so I, I think I was interested in in sort of the irony of doing a privileged activity about privilege um it, it seemed like a to, it's the disparity of that seems somehow fitting to me and um and this idea that um and so the title the privilege of escape is because uh, doing escape rooms in general is a privilege the idea of being able to remove yourself or get out is a privilege and and thinking about um yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's where I, that's where I landed with
1: that. Yeah, most definitely. And there's a lot of layers of nuance, um, just in the choice of the medium in and of itself, but the way that you convey the message from my understanding of it is also a very nuanced thing as well. Um, it's not Dang. something where you've seeded it into, into the room.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that was something that, um, we thought a lot about, uh, because, I, this could have gone horribly wrong, right? Like, and it, with, with a topic like privilege, something that's really difficult for people to talk about, um, people often write about it and use analogies like the one with the race and how far back you start in the race or the one where it's how easily you float or the one where it's your, um, like riding a bicycle in a street made for cars, you know, things like that. People use a lot of analogies. And so what I wanted to do was just create sort of an experiential metaphor, um, because they say that when, um, what is it? It's like when a memory is paired with like adrenaline, uh, the emotional response like makes it so that it sticks in your memory, either your like hippocampus or your amygdala. Um, it, it makes it stick, um, it makes it more memorable and it makes people, um, it makes it more impactful. Right. And so I was, I was hoping to tap into that. Um, and so that's, I wanted to make it so it wasn't so heavy handed where I was like, sort of ramming it down people's throats. Right. But at the same time, I didn't want it to be so subtle that it didn't say anything or where it was so complex that it was too confusing. And so it was, it was pretty tough to figure out where, where that middle ground might be. I mean, we kind of just had to make a hypothesis based on beta testing and, and sort of go with that. But it, it, um, because sometimes you, you get, this was open to everybody and, and free, right. So anybody could join. And we got people who were just like really excited in creative time and immersive experiences. We had people who really, um, were more like really well-versed in, uh, social justice and activism. And then we had some people that were just looking for a free escape room. And so thinking about all of those different people being in this experience together and having to interact together through it was, um, was already kind of a, a tricky thing to figure out how to navigate that, how, how to make it so that it might be meaningful on many different levels, um, and, and to have multiple levels of engagement with it. And so that was, that was a huge challenge that, um, I feel like, I mean, I feel pretty proud of where we ended up.
1: (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Um, and I don't know if you guys are planning on a remount, are you allowed to, or able to talk about exactly how you communicated the message, um, within the piece?
0: Sure. Well, um, the remount, I I don't actually know, you know, um, that might be something on the table. So I guess I won't do complete spoilers, but, um, I can absolutely take, take you through, um, A lot of it. (laughs) Um, so the idea is that, um, you come, everybody who signed up, they signed up through creative times website and knowing that creative time is a public arts organization. And they were told it's an escape room inspired experience. Um, and, um, and it is about privilege and social inequity and that's it. Right. So you go, um, you walk into, um, the Olympic tower building, um, which, Uh, Creative Time partnered with the Onassis Foundation for the site and it's this beautiful building. You walk in, it's got huge ceilings, it's got like a living wall. When I first walked in, I saw the the tiles on the ground. It almost looked kind of like a code, you know, like for people who really like escape rooms have their puzzle hats on. They're like, you're kind of already excited by it. And then you- Right. And you're like drawn toward this indoor waterfall. It's like a two story waterfall indoors. And there's a staircase, a glass staircase next to it. And you descend down the staircase for the project and you walk up to this reception desk and there's um, there's a guy sitting there and he's wearing a lab coat and there's a bunch of hourglasses behind him. And there's glass doors next to him uh, that say the Institute at the top and that's it and he's wearing a name tag and he asks um are you here for the study and you're like i'm here for the creative time escape room thing by Rita puno and he's uh, he's like but are you here for the study are you here for the one o'clock study and then you're like oh uh okay yeah and so he gives you a waiver and and you sign the waiver he takes your name, you sit down. Okay. So you're waiting. And then eventually, um, he calls people's names and, um, he hands each person a lanyard. And, um, so, okay. So, (laughs) so he hands each each person a lanyard and at first, um, they all say a, and what usually happens is he hands it out. And then the person that came with that person stands up thinking, that he's going to call the name next, but no, he calls somebody else's name. And so, um, and so they, they step back and he hands out all the A's and then he starts handing out lanyards that say B on them. And that's when people start to get a little, that's when you, you feel another little tremor of energy through the group, right? Because this is, this is different. And you start realizing that the people that you came with have a different letter than you. Um, and then once all the lanyards are handed out. Um, you put them on and then you walk into, into the the glass doors that say the Institute. Right. And so you're in this dark space. There's only a few like spotlights on the ground and you hear this sort of, um, it's this, a little bit of like this ominous sound. It's what I like to call spaceship HVAC in the <laughs> background. Right. And it makes it feel like you're in this sort of potentially cavernous space it gives you a sense of excitement a little bit of unease and so then he you know he thanks you for coming for taking part in this um in this study and he talks about he's like as you know at the institute and he talks about like behavioral science talks about um uh the sort of the setup for the experiment about how um there'll be self-directed exercises and how um you'll have 45 minutes once you get into the test rooms and how our systems analysts will be monitoring your um, experience closely, giving you directives if you need them and um, your performance will be compared against the other group as well as benchmarks um, from other test groups. And so then he tells everybody with the A lanyard to line up in front of the door marked A and everybody with a B lanyard to line up in front of the door marked B. And so then, um, so you separate, you can't see each other at that point. And then he rings the bell and then you start, you just, you start. Right. And, um, so when you walk in, um, you walk into what is a little bit like a typical escape room experience. There's a few things that are a little different, but generally it's, you're You're doing an escape room. It's just the difference is you're doing it with strangers, right? People people you've never met people you don't know how well you work with. so you there's sort of a dynamic trying to figure out that dynamic um in and of itself. And honestly, a lot of the people, most of the people that came into this project had never participated in an escape room. And so um oh, interesting. Yeah. Right. And, and I mean, there were some people who were like expert puzzlers who've done literally hundreds of rooms. Um, but, but most of the people had, had never even done it. So, um, so it's, it's their introduction to it too. And, um, I think that, um, in general, I think the, the puzzles that I designed were more, um, a little more sculptural, a little more 3d than at least the escape rooms I've been to, I I mean, full disclosure, I've only done like maybe like 25 of them, you know? Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, there's people who've literally done hundreds, um, but, um, you know, which, I mean, I, I hope to be one of them one day, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, so compared to the ones that I saw for research, I think I really tried to take advantage of my my background as a sculpture installation artist and make um, things that not only looked um, interesting as 3D objects, but also used um, uh, like three, I guess you could say four dimensions in the process of solving them. Um, Because I think what I love about escape rooms is I love how tactile they are. Um, And, but a lot of them, even though you're working with these objects that are 3D, like the way you solve it is still within one plane, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's still sort of a 2d puzzle. And so I, I wanted to take advantage of, of the 3d nature of it. And, um, and mine specifically, since like, since I expected it to have a lot of people in there, um, you, a lot of the puzzles require many people to solve, like in a lot of escape rooms, sometimes you'll have something that maybe takes two people to solve, but there's some that takes, that that's much easier if you have three people, sometimes even four people in order to complete. And that's one of the things I really wanted to tease out there is like how well these people work together. Um, and so once you do it, once you, once you get out, you, um, I mean, you feel like a million bucks, right? It's just like any other escape room. You feel like you really accomplished something. Right. And, um, and you, you, or well, you get out or you don't, I guess. But once, once both groups are done, you meet back into this debrief room and then you start comparing your experiences and you find out that you had very different experiences, um, in the rooms. Um, and so, um, and that's where it's like, I don't, uh, I wish I knew what was happening. Cause if we didn't, if I knew we were definitely not remounting, then like I would totally spoil it cause I love talking about that. Um, but basically it's, it's been a really interesting experience to hear what happens in the debrief. Cause there's a series of, um, well, first there's a research analyst that, um, a, an actor playing a research analyst that comes out and gives context to the experience by talking about games and how they act as metaphors for larger social experiences. And that's why we use them in our test and, um, at, at the Institute. And, um, and goes into the history of some of, um, games like chess and monopoly. Monopoly used to be called the landlord's game and, um, and, and talking about, That or how the checker uh, how life used to be called the checkered game of life, and how it was used by Milton Bradley to um as an educational tool to um Mm. help people yeah, to help people learn to live a moral and virtuous life. Like, seriously, some of the the the, like squares on the original version from 1860 had things like suicide or like um, I think famine was on there, uh, yeah. yeah, things like that, things that um, and like matrimony is, is, you know, one of the goals and things like that. And so, um, and so we talk about that and then we start getting into the comparative performance analysis where we, uh, talk about the, um, the, how each group did, right. It's like whichever group, um, completes all the tasks, First, or completes the most amount of tasks gets candy, <laughs> and um, and the other group doesn't. And then you start comparing what your conditions were like in the room, what what you had to do to complete the tasks, and um, and I think as an artist, this this was the scariest part for me because um, I I mean I usually make work that has to do with games because I'm interested in how. Through games, people are more willing to take risks than they might be in regular life. Yeah. Um, I, I'm interested in um, how they, uh, yeah, they're willing to challenge themselves and how real the emotions can be, even though it's just something silly. Right. And, and it makes it, I think, easier to talk about but I'm used to creating things that are very much rooted in the real world, right? Which is why I think I like things like Harry Potter versus like things like Lord of the Rings, which is certainly fun to read, to watch. But it's like it's, it's a whole other world, right? Versus just like a pocket within our real world. And so the games that I usually make are... Like I made a nine hole miniature golf course that was called the course of emotions, a mini golf (laughs) experience where like each hole presented an emotional obstacle that you had to overcome. Right. Like interesting. Yeah. Like worry was, um, uh, had a windmill with the blades shaped like question marks. Cause when you're worried your questions get in the way or like frustration was, um, a maze that literally spelled the word frustration it was a par 40 maze which i actually never got it in under 72 strokes but um (laughs) but yeah and so which became sort of a metric for how well people deal with frustration like some people just put their heads down and are like willing to do it whereas some people just like are like fuck this and just skip it whereas some people try to like chip the ball over it you know or like um you know things like that or like i made a um speaking of mazes i made a um There's a classic game called Labyrinth, like the tilting maze game where you're trying to get your ball through the maze without having it fall into a hole. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I made like a bigger version that was like the size of a pool table um, that um, was two player. So you both had identical mazes and you both had balls, but you were on the same tilting surface. So you had to decide whether to cooperate or compete in order to get both your balls to their respective goals. And, um, even if you were trying to cooperate, I mean, just whatever, like entropy Murphy's law, whatever you want to call it, like you would often end up in different places. And it's like the negotiation that goes into trying to get your balls to the same place was, um, was what was really interesting to me and that one became sort of a litmus test for relationships right like yeah, you'd see yeah. coworkers, yeah because like coworkers would be really comfortable like discussing with each other and talking about stuff because they're used to that versus like romantic partners were really funny um especially like the difference between a um, new relationship versus like people who've been together forever like watching my own parents do it was hilarious um oh, you know <laughs> or like um seeing like identical twins do it they were able to win the game without uttering a single word it was crazy like it was some some like twin esp stuff next level stuff. Yeah. yeah right so i'm really interested in the relationships of people within these games and how they negotiate like their roles and their um how they deal with the rules of engagement, right? Where they're flexible, where they respect them, like, because there's rules that we impose with games, but then there's also ones that sort of tend to happen within uh, groups of people or pairs of people. Right. And so I found that really interesting. um, And I was interested in, in teasing that out with this project. So while, when I entered the project, when I first started, I was, more interested in the dynamics that would happen in the sort of debrief, right? Like the, the, the comparative performance analysis when they would talk to each other about their, um, about their experiences. I was really interested in that. It's what was terrifying to me because I was used to just making an object and putting it out there and how people interacted with that object or that game or that space was just what happened, right? And um, and there's a sort of freedom that comes with that as an artist. You just put it out there and you let it go. It's, it's you put it in a park, you put it in a gallery, a museum, done, right? And um, with this, so much of the message, was reliant upon, first of all, on the actors, right? Because the one at, um, the one at the reception, our research analyst Piper, um, he set the tone for it. Right. I mean, outside of just making sure people understand the rules and stuff, it's like he, his job was to get people to a certain emotional goal. We wanted them to feel excited, but a little bit uneasy, a little apprehensive. And we wanted them to feel like they wanted to succeed. Like they wanted to show that they were good. Right. And that's, um, that was his role, that and also answering all the questions of like, I mean, uh, like people, um, I mean, people would ask all kinds of questions that they might ask like a receptionist. Right. But he's but he's an actor. And so he had to learn to deal with that, too. Um, and so then on top of that, then there's putting the project in the hands of the research analyst at the end and the way she would explain the game and people have asked her questions about like the, like the design of the exercises and the data. And again, she's just an actor who we gave lines to, you know, but we had to sort of figure out how to um, train her to answer the most frequently asked questions. It's like, what is the fastest time that people escaped with, Or like, you know, what happens with this like exercise or what was the final answer for this or things like that. Right. And so um, that were are not part of the, the facilitation part of the script. And so there was a lot of trust that went into that because a lot of it requires instinct in terms of knowing how far to take it um because like people really got confused like not everybody but some people were like oh so what is the institute gonna do with our data and are you gonna do they publish their findings (laughs) it's like it's like the institute is not real it's called the institute you know right they were ready they were right
1: there ready to believe the whole thing
0: right it's it's amazing what happens people really believe people in lab coats like there was a woman who came up to our um our receptionist and was like oh you look like a doctor and starts talking to her talking to him about her husband's like kidney stones (laughs) and he's like he's definitely like even if he were like at the institute he's not that kind of doctor you know he's like probably got a PhD in behavioral science he's not like a whatever urologist or something (laughs) um but yeah and so there was like a lot of trust that came in um in asking these people to literally speak for me, right. And speak for the project that was terrifying, but also amazing to see what they brought to it, you know, and and then on top of it, having so much of the message come from the participants, right. Because it's like, we don't say what what the difference between the two rooms are. It comes out in the feedback portion. And so, like the, the research analyst has to tease it out of them, has to get them to describe the differences and to describe it. So in, in a way that like, in a way that the other group can be empathetic or can understand or can be whatever their emotions are. Right. And, and figuring out, um, how to get different people to speak up within, within that context. And so there's a lot of faith that comes in that, you know, faith in, in our actors, but also faith in the public, in, in their, um, ability to really engage and, and be thoughtful and, um, and be honest with their answers. And that was like both terrifying and scary and frustrating, but also incredibly rewarding. Um, I think as, as an artist who, it, it really felt like the, like it had a life of its own and it took shape every single game, every single group that came through had a different sort of flavor, a different dynamic, um, even within each room. Right. And, and I think that, um, that was fascinating to me. And I think the dynamics within the rooms themselves were fascinating. I think, um, honestly seeing how the dynamics of privilege play out are, um, it was, illuminating to to be able to watch that happen. Right. Seeing who feels comfortable like speaking up, right. Who feels entitled to be heard, who feels um, comfortable telling a perfect stranger. No, 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 That's wrong. That's wrong. Because it's like, you don't know if they're wrong. Like, you don't know. You've never done this. Literally none of you have ever done this before. Right. And um, in fact, I, um, so I snuck into one of the games on the very last day just because I wanted to experience it from yeah, the a yeah. player. Right. And I never got to do that. So I waited until I didn't know anybody on the check-in list. And so I like took the freight elevator up to the lobby. And so I could walk down the stairs just like everybody else. And, um, and, and checked in using a fake name. <laughs> and so I got placed in one of the, one of the rooms. Right. And I didn't know anybody in it. And, um, and it was, pretty crazy like what went down in that room like I a lot of people had told me about being in the room with a player that shuts them down um and and I've been telling that story as I've been giving like artist talks and stuff like that I've been telling their stories but I now have my own story of being in a room like that and um and so there was this one point where I had um I had this, I guess this is, I mean, like a mini spoiler, but whatever. So I had this block, right. And, and I went to bring it over where, where some of the players already had some blocks and I went to put it down. And this other player said to me, no, um, no, 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 no. Like don't, don't put that there. And I said, what? <laughs> and he was like, no, we don't, we don't need that. And I was like, you don't (laughs) because i was thinking yeah you do you absolutely need this um but um and he's like no no no. he's like and i said well why and he kind of explained this thing to me and i was like okay well then what do you plan to do with that and he was like i don't know and i was like oh well can i i was like well can i just put this down and he's like no 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 no. and i'm like but this has a two on it and that spot has a two in it and i'm thinking they're the exact same font like I put them there. Like it has the same font. (laughs) Right, right. And, And he would not let me do it. You know, he wouldn't let me put it down. And like, and it wasn't until there were only, okay, background. So there's nine people in this room, including me, right? And there's two dudes in the room. And like, it wasn't until the other dude said, oh, well, what if we just put all of them there for now? That's when all of a sudden everybody started doing it. And I was like, are you kidding me? And it was like, I realized that like, and this kept happening over and over and over again in this, in this room. And I, I mean, I was so upset to tell you the truth. Like I could barely contribute to the debrief afterward because I was so angry and it took me a long time to figure out why I was so angry, like outside of just it sucks to be shut down, but like there was a whole new level that I had never experienced before. And I think it's that like, I realized that in life I could only be maybe like at most 99% sure that I was correct about something, right? 99% sure. And even if I was like, I felt like I was correct in life. There's more than one way to do something. Right. So like somebody else says something like, fine, you know, like, let's, let's try that, whatever. It's not that like, okay, fine. But like, this is the only time I have ever been 100% sure that I am correct. And 100% sure that this other person is incorrect. Right? Like, I feel like that, that hardly happens. Right. And, and I knew that there was literally no other way to do this, no other way to do this because I designed it. And, and to be shot down when this person didn't even have like, an alternate answer was so frustrating and to have other people like back that his idea up when like I was giving an idea that made sense. Like I was like the, like, um, our systems analysts, like our game masters in the background, right. They're giving directives hints and the hint was backing me up and they like still wouldn't listen to me. And it was,
1: Oh my god, That
0: to me was crazy to feel Like, I mean, it spoke to so many things, right? It's like, it spoke to incredible privilege, right? Because I, because I'm the artist, because this was my creation, I had sort of assumed that people would listen to me, not because they knew who I was, because nobody knew, but it's like, because... I knew I'd have the right answer. Right. right and because right. I, I wanted, like, I didn't want to sabotage the room. I didn't want to give things away, but I did want to help out. Right. And so I was trying to steer the group back. In fact, it, because this one guy was suggesting crazy things, I didn't want him to tank their experience. Right. So I was like really trying to get them to do the thing that I knew was literally the correct answer. And, and so, so what it felt like to realize, Oh no, I like, to be reminded what it's like to not have that privilege, right? Like, it's not like, I mean, I'm, I'm a woman, I'm a person of color. I grew up in Kentucky. Like, it's not like that's a new feeling to me, but like, I guess I thought that I was going in kind of as a different sort of voice. Right. And so, um, yeah. And so that was a wake up call to me. And it was, and it made me think about how, a lot of people have had that experience in the room. And it made me think about how, like, I've been talking about this as analogies for everyday life for a lot of people. Right. And, um, and I think like, I think that like, Oh, I'm trying to find a hard, it's hard for me to figure out how to talk about this without spoiling it. Right. But I think that like, yeah, but I think that like, for example, so I, um, my parents are immigrants from the Philippines. Right. Um, but I, which is quote unquote, a whole country. Um, but I, um, but at the same time, I am a um, I'm a non-black person of color. Right. So it's like, I think a lot of times while I don't have white privilege, I think that privilege reflects onto me in that way. Right. And, um, and so I think that this was really important for me because I feel like it's something that I see both ends of, right? Even just within skin color privilege, right? And I think that there's different intersections of my identity in which I have a lot of privilege in which, and in a lot of ways in which I don't, and there's nothing I could do to, to gain more within those within those sections, right? And so um, I just really wanted to get people thinking about it, thinking about the ways in which they do, thinking about the ways in which they don't, thinking about the ways in which, like, I don't know, there's ways in which I'm complicit in, in perpetuating the systems that oppress me. Right. Like, um, and so I think that that's something that I was hoping to get people talking about, you know, and I think that, um, talking about the dynamics within the rooms themselves. I think talking about what happens in the debrief and how people talk about it. Um, the ways in which people, it's really hard to get people to acknowledge their privilege even within the game. Like we're not talking their social privilege in life. We're talking just their privilege within the game. Cause one group is privileged and one group is oppressed. Like that's just how we set it up. Um, and, um, And people like sometimes still have a really hard time um, accepting that. Right. And I think that that's uh, that was so interesting and so telling. And I and I hope that's something that people continue talking about. You know, I think that um, people talk about like since we prioritize splitting people up um, that came together, the whole point of that was one, the, the debrief portion would be easier if people had been working with strangers for 45 minutes. But I also think that, um, in order to affect social change, you have to be willing to work with people that you don't know. Right. And yeah. so I think, that, and, and also I think with escape rooms in general, there's um, a thing that happens afterward. It's a term bar, borrowed from LARP called frothing where like players want to relive the game. They want yeah, to talk about yeah. their experience. Right. And so I wanted to capitalize upon that do, too, because I figured maybe if they would talk about the game, they would also then be talking about privilege, um, which, um, uh, is, is it, it does happen, or at least it does happen with, I mean, I've seen it. Like sometimes we'll close at the end of the night and, um, and we'll go upstairs and we'll still see the people from the last game. Like it'll sometimes be like 45 minutes, an hour after the last game ended, they'll still be talking, you know? And that to me feels, and they're strangers, right? Cause it's like the big group of them. And that is that, is so satisfying as an artist. Um, I think that's everything I wanted for the project. You know, I've had um, amazing people like come up to me. Like I I was um, coming back from a residency right before the second run of the show. And um, so I um, was... I like struck up a conversation with the flight attendant and uh, she said she was from New York. So I invited her to play. Um, I told her what it was called, told her the tickets were free. And so I got an email from her a couple of weeks later um, saying what an amazing experience it was and how it made her want to share her story so that other people could understand things. She wanted to learn about other people and learn how they're different from her and about how like she hopes that it impacts people 10 times more it impacted her it was just this amazing email and or like i got um i got a uh uh like a dm from somebody an uh, 18 year old who played the game who um is doing college applications and he's going to use my project as an answer for his supplemental essay for the question like what piece of artwork or um literature or science or something like that uh impacted you recently and and Right. And I was so honored that the privilege of scape is what he wanted to write about. Um and I just I don't know. I think that um I've never had that before. Right. There's so many things about this project that I've never had. Like I, I'm usually used to working sort of by myself. Like I'll have a team of assistants that, um, like I'll hire on a project by project basis to like lend me a hand in the studio. But like, this is the first time I've had like a whole staff of people like working on the like ideation, the cure the curatorial stuff, figuring out like how to connect me with the right collaborators. We had like social justice consultants. We had like a like puzzle technical consultant. We had um we had a uh, director script writer, we had actors, we had lighting designers, we had sound designers, like we had amazing people involved in this project who all brought such like wonderful genius to this um, that um I feel I don't know. I feel so it's so cheesy, but I feel so grateful to, to have that. And I feel like the generosity of those collaborators, the generosity of the Creative Time staff, of all the like donors for this project. We had a successful Kickstarter. Um, we had, you know, and even just all the people who came and played and and went through this and and um gave honest answers and discussion. Um, and, and gave an honest effort at trying to succeed in this 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 escape room that that we made um, was it just it feels really amazing and it 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 feels um, it feels wonderful to be connected to so many people right that's that's one of my many privileges now that I have and am am so grateful for um, but yeah it's a I mean it's it's been a really crazy journey
1: calling all immersive adventurers explorers connoisseurs and artists the immersive revolution is just beginning all that is to say we would love any feedback that you might have on the show what do you want to hear more of less of anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show i would love to hear your thoughts so please Rate us, review us, or just drop us a line on the website at immersionnation.com. I always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating. Once again, this is the Immersion Nation Podcast. Thank you for joining us in this adventure.